Good morning, church. So glad you've chosen to worship Christ with us this morning. It is a beautiful fall day, and uh, there's a lot of things that you could choose to be doing, but I'm glad that you've chosen to be here and that we are here. It's such a joy and honor to be your pastor and to be able to serve you uh, this day and every day. So thank you, Chris, Reverend Chris, last week, an amazing sermon. I know that I took to heart and uh, was really powerful. So I plan my sermons about six weeks, or six months in advance, and when I was going through this, you know, I got to the, the top that we're talking about today, which is submit. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is, this is just one of those you just don't want to preach about, right? I mean, it's great to preach about stuff like bringing people to Christ, right, or serving in our mission. But this idea of mutual submission that we are called to, to submit to one another and submit to God, it's just, I mean, it's not something that you get excited about, you know, right? Like, oh, man, I'm going to teach everybody that they are called to be submissive. And yet, is one of the most beautiful, important teachings that I think we can hear today in our world and in our society. We need to learn this lesson that, that Paul has for us, which is the call, as Josh said, to surrender. Not giving up, but giving in to God and giving in to one another and having that kind of trusting relationship with one another that we can surrender, that we can submit mutually together. Growing up, uh, I have an older brother, some of you may not know this. I'm, I'm short. You probably do know that. Uh, pretty obvious from seeing me up here. And I'm kind of the runt of the family. He's about six feet tall, has, has some weight on me too. And so our general interaction as, as brothers growing up was I would say something smart aleck and then he would throw me in the trash can. That was just our relationship. It, we also watched a lot of uh, WWE type stuff, or I think it was WWF back then. You know, Hulk Hogan before he became evil and then became good again back in the day in the junkyard dog. And so oftentimes our conversations turned into wrestling matches, which I would always lose because he was bigger than me. And they would end with me in a headlock chokehold tapping out, and he would make me hold until I would submit. You know, you tap out or you say I yield or whatever. So when I think about submitting, that's what I think about is my older brother having me in a headlock, holding me down until I gave up. And so I don't have the most positive thoughts when it comes to submission. And yet, it's a huge part of what we do as followers of Jesus. Our scripture today tells us to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. To submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, this is not just talking about in families, although we're going to talk a lot about husbands and wives here in a minute. But he's talking about the church too. We as a church are supposed to come together and submit to each other out of our trust and reverence for Jesus. And that means that this isn't necessarily a church that you get your way all the time. I don't get my way all the time. None of us get our way. We should be trying to see Christ's way day in and day out as a church. And the same thing in our families is we need to see how Christ wants us to live in our families. You know, America still has a huge divorce problem. 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. And, and I know some people in this room are divorced. And, and I know that God has healed you in the midst of that. And, and I praise God for how God is active in, in your life and in your relationships now. And, and those things happen. But it's still something we don't want to continue. We don't want the world to continue to see the statistics of, of all these marriages ending in divorce. And one thing that statistics have shown that provides happiness in a marriage is a foundation built on Christ. And what Paul tells us is that we are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence to Jesus. I do want to say as we get started here, 
that this particular passage has been used in some abusive ways. And so that if there is abuse, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse going on, this passage is not telling you to submit to someone who will abuse you, take advantage of you. This is talking about submitting to people you have your trust in God. So if someone is breaking that trust, someone is breaking relationship, if you're in a marriage that you know, the, the, your spouse is hurting you, this isn't talking to you. This isn't saying stay in an abusive relationship. It's saying to submit to one another, mutually submit, serve one another, love one another as Christ loves the church. So our scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21. And really, the first verse is the key verse and the central. It says, and submit to one another out of our respect for Jesus Christ. We're called to submit to one another that out of love and relationships, every single person in here, I'm called to submit to you and you're called to submit to me. And the beauty of this, and especially when you're in a loving relationship, when you are in a relationship of mutual submission, right, is that if I fully submit to you and you fully submit to me, you're not taking advantage of me. But when only one person is sacrificing everything, when there's only one person giving their all, then it creates this imbalance, right? And it's an unhealthy relationship. So the idea is that in this beautiful world that Jesus is creating, that we mutually submit to one another. Some of this has been controversial from time to time as we continue verse 22. For example, wives should submit to their husbands as if to the Lord. A husband is the head of his wife like Christ is the head of the church that is the savior of the body. So wives, submit to your husbands in everything like the church submits to Christ. As for husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He did this to make her holy by washing her in a bath of water with the word. He did this to present himself splendid with a splendid church without any sort of stain or wrinkle on her clothes. But rather, one that is holy and blameless. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. In the same way as they do their own body, because anyone who loves their, his wife loves himself. No one who ever hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two of them will be one body. Marriage is a significant allegory, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. In any case, as for you individually, each of you should love his wife as himself, and wives should respect their husbands. As for children, obey your parents in the Lord because it is right. The commandment, honor your father and mother, is the first one with a promise attached so that things will go well with you and you will live a long time in the land. As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. And as for slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and with sincere devotion to Christ. Don't work to make yourself look good and try to flatter people, but act like slaves of Christ. Count God's will from the heart. Serve your owners enthusiastically as though you are serving the Lord and not human beings. You know that the Lord will reward every person who does what is right, and whether that person is a slave or free person. As for masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Stop threatening them because you know that both you and your slaves have a master in heaven, and he doesn't distinguish between people on the basis of status. The words of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can see why this is a difficult passage, right? We don't want to hear Paul say 
slaves, submit to your masters, right? We want to hear Paul say, slaves, rise up and revolt masters. If you're a Christian, free your slave. They're your brother and sister. What is going on in this particular passage? And this is where it is so important to understand the context of Paul and his time and to really get at what Paul is talking about, right? And, and unfortunately, this particular passage, the part about slaves, was used in the South to say that slavery was okay. And ni- neither Paul nor Jesus nor anybody in the Bible would say that slavery is okay. That's not God's will for the world. But Paul lived in a world where a, that slave, slavery was so common. And to, to not have slavery for them would be like us not having electricity. It's just something that we're used to. It's something that, that is a part of every single day and every single night, right? But listen to what he says. And listen to how revolutionary it is in the midst of this teaching. You know, you see, he talks about how slaves obey your masters and treat them like you would a servant of Christ, right? And then he tells masters to go and treat the slaves in the same way. So he's telling masters to treat slaves like slaves treat their masters. In a world in Paul's day and age where slavery was commonplace, this is revolutionary teaching. This is subversive. This is how Paul is hoping to change society from the inside slowly and surely. Now, we have to understand that the church at this time was very small. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus where they had the big temple of Artemis. And Christians are already looked down on because they were hurting the, the economic realities of the town because people would come in the tourist trade and they would sacrifice to, to Artemis in the, in the giant temple one of the seven wonders of the world. And as people became Christians, they stopped doing that. So it was, it was costing people money. And they were really not happy with Christians. And soon Christians would be more and more persecuted in the Roman world. So what Paul is doing is laying down something that's subversive that will change society. In fact, we know that Christianity takes over the Roman Empire in about 300 years, right? But he does it in a subversive way. One of my favorite books of the Bible is, is called Philemon. And in the story is a letter from Paul to Philemon, and he's talking about a slave named Onesimus who escaped, and he went to live with Paul, became a Christian, and Paul sends him back to his master, but he begs the master, he begs Philemon, who is the master, to treat Onesimus like a brother. Now, this doesn't seem that revolutionary, right? Oh, you have to go back to your, where you're a slave? But if you are a follower of Jesus... And Paul tells you to treat someone like your brother. And in fact, he wants Philemon to send Onesimus back to him. You can't keep your brother enslaved. You can't keep your brother in the same way that he was before. And so there's this revolutionary undertone. Paul is not trying to keep the world the same, and yet he has to be very careful. This section is called the Household Codes. And they're part of the Greek and Roman household codes, I think started by Aristotle. And in the, the, the household, there was the paterfamilias, the, the husband, the leader of the household, and he had power of life and death over everybody in the household. Wife, children, slaves, everybody. And he could do what he wished. He could beat them, he could cast them out, and they would be homeless and penniless. He could do whatever he wants. Julia Caesar's daughter is Julia, and that's her only name in history, Julia. Men had multiple names. Women only had the name of their father and then whoever they married. And so into this, do you see the subversive words of Paul, of where a a husband could do whatever he wished with any family member? And into this, 
He says, mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he also says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He went to the cross. Husbands, are you willing to go to the cross for your wife? Are you willing to lay everything down on the, on the line and say, I will sacrifice everything, all my wishes, all my desires, all my hopes, so that you might have life? Now compare that to this, this letter from the first century. It says this. Polarian to Alice, his wife. This is how people would write to each other back then, kind of interesting. Hardiest greetings. Know that we are all still, even in now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child. And as soon as I receive wages, I will send them to you. If good luck to you, you have a child and it be a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, throw it out. This is how that world viewed women. Do you hear the difference in what Paul is saying? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Lay down your life for them. There's this power of mutual submission. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't think that in the church that we're called to, be, to, to follow the household codes, even as Paul lays them out. And that might be a radical teaching, but there are teachings in Scripture that are for a particular time and place. This was a teaching that was for Ephesus. And we see times in Scripture where Paul lifts up the leadership of women. I don't think that men should be in leadership over women just because they're male. Men and women have different gifts, and maybe they lead differently and uniquely, but we all are called into leadership. Just because you're male does not mean you get to be the head of the household. Paul is saying, we need you to continue in this way, and we need to do it in a subversive way that women are treated with dignity and respect. which is so different than the the reality of that day. But I don't know that necessarily that Paul wanted that to be the same for all time. In the same way that, you know, first century marriages aren't the same as 21st century marriages. In first century, the way they were supposed to follow the emperor and do things like that is not the same way that we follow our president today. You have to understand the context. You have to understand in what Paul is teaching. This is, this, is, this is a deep teaching, and, and what he's really getting at is mutual submission to one another. But even if we do, even if we want to take the most traditional interpretation of this passage and men are the head of the household, right? Husbands, that calling is high, right? If our call is to treat our wives like Christ treats the church, we have big shoes to fill. And too often, this particular code, this particular household code, Christians have used it more like the Greco-Roman way where men are just in domination and power over their spouses. And we've seen this lately. There have been over 600 cases in the church recently of pastors and men sexually harassing women, sexually assaulting women. And that's not okay. That's never okay. We do not take leadership in the church as power. Leadership in the church is about serving. It's about putting the needs of others first. It's about falling on our knees and praying to God and saying, what can I do to serve you? How can I serve you to the best of my ability? So even if we want to take the most traditional understanding of this passage, our job as men is to serve the women in the church, to serve our wives as Christ served the church. Now, I personally think that Christ, that Jesus, that God has humans, has men and women, sees us all created in the image of God. In fact, that structure of male ruling the household, that was a curse of sin. 
So if you turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, or it's not verse 2, Genesis chapter 3, when he's talking about the curses that people will receive, this is one of the curses. This is to the woman. Of course, verse 16, I will make your pregnancy very painful and pain. You will bear children and your desire will be your husband, but he will rule over you. Because in sin, whoever is most powerful dominates, right? Whoever is stronger, who has physical, whoever has power dominates the weak. Whether in God's world, we all serve one another. That's why verse 21 is the key to this passage. This is what it's all about. Mutual submission to one another. We as the church need to be in submission to Christ. Christ is the head of the church. So we don't desire what we want. I should not be thinking about how David would rule the church. You guys should not be thinking about how you would govern the church. But we should all be trying to seek what Christ wants from the church. And the same thing is true in our families. We need to mutually seek we need to mutually seek what Christ wants for us. If we're husbands, we need to serve our wives as Christ served the church. Again, that's a huge call. It's beautiful. I can't think of anything more beautiful than the call to serve as Christ served the church. And then as husbands, as wives, it does say that they are to submit. But it's that idea of mutual submission. You know, I, Michelle and I have a, a beautiful marriage. That doesn't mean we don't disagree. We do. We get in fights all the time. But I think about times that she sacrifices for me, there's times I have to go out of town, and she takes care of our kids and the household and the family all by herself. And there's times that she needs to go either out of town with some of the girl, her girlfriends or go do something, and, and I take care of the family and the house and the kids, and we just serve one another. And it can be a beautiful thing. We're not perfect. Don't, don't hear that. But we do work really hard as a family to take care of one another and take care of each other's needs. But Paul doesn't stop there. Kids, he, he talks to you too. He says, obey your parents. I know this can be a really hard teaching. And I think this is a teaching not just for people like young, like our teenagers or our kids that aren't in the room. Of course, they should obey their parents. But I think for all of us, we're called to obey their parents. Now, again, if there's abuse involved, that's a different story, right? Because some of us have abusive relationship with our parents. But we're supposed to respect our elders. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to listen to them. And yes, we're supposed to obey them. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And so we need to obey our parents. And I think that's true for us, even us with grown parents, that we're called to obey them. And then parents, it says, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise with discipline and instruction about the Lord. So we need to make sure and put our kids' needs before our own, not just to get them to do whatever we want, but how are we raising them in the Lord? How are we teaching them about Christ? How are we helping them grow to know who Jesus is and to put their needs before our own? And that's true in the church too. As we think about all the kids, all of your kids are my kids, and my kids are your kids. Sorry about that. (laughs) We are raising our children together. How are we helping them grow in the Lord together? How are we putting their needs before our own and sacrificing things that we need and we want that they can grow in the Lord? Ultimately, this is about putting Christ first. This is about following Jesus. This is exactly what Josh was talking about when he said, I surrender. It's not about giving up. It's about giving in, giving in to Christ. Will you give up some of what you need and some of what you want so that you can be in mutual submission? with one of us out of reverence for Christ. You know, I don't, I don't think this is really what we want as humans. 
It's really hard for us. It's really hard to submit. It's really hard to yield. It's really hard to give in, and yet it is so important. A few years ago, I was watching the Final Four, and this Xbox commercial came on, and, and I didn't really know at the time that he was quoting a, a famous poem by William Ernest Henley called Invictus. But I think this poem from uh, the 19th century highlights how we feel about ourselves. This is what it says. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's what we want. We want to be the captains. We want to be the captains of our destiny, our fate. We want to be in control. What Jesus tells us is that he is the master of our fate. And he is the captain of our soul. And so today we're called to submit. Submit to Christ. Submit to one another. Submit in our loving relationships as parents, as children, husbands and wives. And it's a hard teaching. But I truly believe that if we do, we will see the fruit of this message in our lives day in and day out. Because this will create the community that God desires to create in us as the church and in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now as we gather for our Holy Communion, the Eucharist, giving thanks, this is the time where we give ourselves back to God and we come to the foot of Christ's table. But before we do, we need to confess. We need to confess our sins and our struggles and our failures. Because Christ invites all to his table who love God, seek to live in peace with one another.